morning. Wait, wait, just one second. I just remembered that we have an anniversary today, and that is a one-year anniversary of our online campus. That's right. Actually, started today, which is tremendous. Yeah. Um, it, and, and I'll just say something real quick. I know we got to move, but um, I have been blessed, blessed, blessed to be um, the pastor of this online campus. It has been incredible to see the growth, how many people are joining us each week uh, in the chat. We've got a chat menu, so people are typing in, saying hello, sharing their stories, um, praying, um, and it's just been an incredible journey. We've got small groups. We've got all ways to get plugged in, and I'm just looking forward to year two. How, how many people uh, usually worship with us each week online? Uh, this roughly? past weekend, uh, we had um, two 260, I believe. Wow. Yeah. I've said before <laughs> that, uh, you know, that number is tremendous when you consider that the average size church, the average size church in our denomination is 99. We have 260 who are worshiping with us online uh, just this last week, and it just continues to grow. So for those of you who are worshiping with us online, welcome to the family. We're glad you're here. All right, you want to pull out your Christchurch notes. They're there in your worship program. You'll see them right there. We're continuing in our Greater Things uh, series. You'll want to find a pen or a pencil on the seat back in front of you uh, to be able to follow along and take some notes along the way as we continue in worship today. Now, you know, over the past two, uh, couple of weeks, I've said I've been, we've been looking at the spectacular way that God has led us as a church. You know, from our very beginning in 1987, uh, when uh, there was just a, a very small handful of people, faithful people, to 1992 when we were still so small and so broke that we were really months away from uh, having to close our doors for good, to where God has brought us today, where we're a thousand people strong and a ministry that impacts people for Christ all around the world. That's what you're a part of today. And you know, we didn't just stumble into it. You know, it was by the faithfulness of God that he brought this church together. Now, I tell you all of that because well, really for two reasons. The, the first reason that it's so important for us to remember is that, that for most of us, and I mean the overwhelming majority of all of us that are here today, we weren't here on that journey. You know, we weren't here in those early days when, when God was molding and making us and shaping us and, and uh, uh, pro, uh, parting our proverbial Red Sea to move us from Silverbrook Elementary School over to our very first building. You know, uh, we need to be reminded of how miraculously God has worked in our midst as a church family. Second reason why it's important is because for those of us who have been on the journey and, and for those of us even who have been here just for the last three years or so since we uh, moved on to this property, the reality is you and I, well, we've got short memories, don't we? You know, we keep forgetting we can forget about how God is, what God's done and how he's moved and, and uh, how God has uh, parted our proverbial Jordan River when we moved from uh, our uh, first building over across 123 and now occupying this place that, that we've affectionately called our promised land. You know, this is what God is doing right here in our midst. You know, uh, 
From the very beginning, God has called the people of Christ's church to greater things. He has. Greater things that could only be achieved when our entire church family came together to, to accomplish something that, that, that appeared absolutely to be impossible. But yet, through the faithfulness of God, he's made these things possible for us. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you two stories. I'm going to tell you a story from the Old Testament and then a story from the New Testament. And then I'm going to tie it all together in our role in the next phase of the journey. So here's our story from the Old Testament. It's out of the gospel, excuse me, out of the book of Exodus. It's chapter 35. The book of Exodus chapter 35. We find Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness and they're needing a place to worship. So here it goes. It starts like this. So Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days works to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. Then Moses said to the whole Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have... Take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense." All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything that the Lord has commanded. So that's God's word for us in the first story. So as I said, Moses and the, and the Israelites, well, they, they were in the wilderness now, and they were camped at the base of Mount Sinai. I have a picture of Mount Sinai. It's, uh, go ahead and put it on. The, there it is. Picture of Mount Sinai right here. Here's Mount Sinai. This is uh, St. Catherine's Monastery at the base of Mount Sinai. In fact, it's right close to where the Israelites... Moses and the Israelites camped at the base of Mount Sinai there on the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. Now, shortly after they arrived there, God called Moses, and he called Moses to go up to the top of that mountain. And when he arrived there, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Now, you know, it's interesting that a lot of us Christians think that uh, the Ten Commandments are are just a bunch of rules and regulations that, that, uh, that God gave Moses. But, you know, in reality, you know, the, the Ten Commandments are far more than that. They're not just a bunch of rules and regulations. They're, the Ten Commandments, listen to this. If you want to sum up what the Ten Commandments are all about, you can do it in one word. It's all about relationships. The Ten Commandments are all about relationships. Our relationship in the vertical with who? With God, right? And then our relationship on the horizontal with others, right? The vertical and the horizontal. It's all about relationships with God and the relationship with others. And you know, it's as if when God gave those Ten Commandments to Moses, it was as if God was saying to Moses, do you realize how much I love you? You know, when, when you were suffering in Egypt under the slavery of the Pharaoh, I heard your call 
and I set you free, and I let you go. You know, when you were, when you were standing on the banks of the, of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and there was no way for you to get across, I parted the Red Sea for you to move through. I parted the waters for you. And when you were on your way, <clears throat> when you're on your way down here to Mount Sinai and there was nothing for you to eat and nothing for you to drink, I provided for you food where there was no food and out of a bro- bone-dried desert where there was no water, I provided water for you. And all I'm asking for you, from you, is that you love me. Is that you love me and that you worship me. Can you see how much I love you? And now, not only do I want you to love me and worship me, but I want you to, to treat others with dignity and respect. And if you do those things, I can promise you this, you will be blessed people. And so Moses descended that mountain, that Mount Sinai, descended that mountain and and said to them, here's everything that God has told me. And one of those things was that he wants us to set aside a, a time and a place for his worship. Now, setting aside the day, well, that was no problem. They could set aside a day to be Sabbath, but the deal is they had no place for the Israelites to come and to worship God out there in the middle of that wilderness, in the middle of that desert. So Moses tells them this. In verse 5, he said, everyone who is willing is to bring an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring an offering. Now, you know, when they, what God was trying to teach the Israelites is that it's all a matter of attitude. In other words, he was saying this. He said, folks, I want you to give, but I, I, God is asking that you give, but he wants you to give willingly. And I want you to write that in because this is an important part of why it is that we give an offering to the Lord. It's out of our willingness to do so, willingness to do so. Matter of fact, Moses said, you saw it, he said, everyone who is willing is to bring an offering for the Lord. That is, God is much less interested in the amount than he is interested in the attitude. It's far less about the amount And it's far more about the attitude. Giving is a matter of willingness and not wealth. And attitude and not amount. In fact, I like to say it this way. Go ahead and put this up. It is a matter of the heart. Giving is always a matter of the heart. You recognize that? It's always a matter of the heart. It's all about what it is that you're wanting to do. That willingness to give because of God's great, amazing love for each of us. In fact, look what the New Testament says Paul was writing, 2 Corinthians, when he was writing to the church at Corinth in Greece, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, he says, for if the willingness is there, your gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. In other words, Paul was saying to the people at Corinth, he said, look, he said, everyone who is willing is to bring this offering, But it's not a matter of the amount, it's a matter of the heart. God doesn't ever call us to give what we don't have. He always asks us, if we're willing, 
out of what you have, out of what you've been given to provide an offering for the Lord. The second thing that we learn from the passage there with Moses and the Israelites is God was saying, look, I want you to give, but I want you to give willingly, but I also want you to give generously. To give generously, willing and generously. That is, if you really want to be a giver after uh, God's own heart, a giver that God's really pleased with, you give generously. In fact, check this out. I, I think it's an amazing scripture, and I'll tell you why. Look what Moses told this. Listen to this, all right? These folks, the Israelites, were refugees, remember? They were refugees. They were escapees from, from uh, slavery in Egypt, and now they were living in the middle of a hostile desert, right, in tents. Okay, so look what Moses said. He said, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring, uh, to bring an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, of blue and purple and uh, scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. Now, I think this is a, a, an incredible passage right here, an amazing passage, because, yeah, these people were living in the desert, right? But they weren't living in Dubai, all right? Do you understand that? They weren't living on the Palm Island in Dubai. They were refugees who were escapees from the Pharaoh in Egypt and had been living in slavery and their ancestors for the last 400 years. And, and Moses saying, look, you know, we need a place to worship the Lord, and from whatever it is that you have, if you have gold and silver, bring that. If you have some acacia wood, bring that. If you have some leather, bring that. If you have some cloth, bring that. If, and if you don't have any of that, but you can spare a little olive oil, a little bottle of olive oil for the light, then bring that. And you know, the fascinating thing about chapter 35 and 36 in the book of Exodus is, is that, that Moses says that the people responded and they started bringing their offerings to the Lord. And then they were, they were, they were bringing these offerings that were so willing and so generous that the most amazing thing happened. The most incredible thing happened. And it was uh, chapter, uh, verses 4 to 7. Look at this. It says, finally... The craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work, and they went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough material to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We've got enough. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Now, you talk about amazing let me tell you, I pray for that day. I pray for that day that one day I'd be able to say, you know what, it is, it is complete. This is what the Lord has done, and it's paid for, and it's done, and don't bring any more for that reason, because it is a completed project. Well, I'm still praying for that day, but we're going on here. That was story number one. Cool story, huh? Now, here's story number two. This is out of the New Testament. I haven't talked about this one in a long time. It is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. So here it is. 
So Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And that's the word of God for us. You know, I think this is a fascinating story too. Jesus and his disciples, well, where were they? They were in the temple. And uh, it was on the, actually it took place on the Tuesday before his death on what we know today as Good Friday. So it took place the Tuesday of the week of Good Friday. Now, the scripture tells us that Jesus was sitting very op- just opposite, close enough to where he could see what was going on when people were bringing up their offerings and dropping them into the temple treasury. And Mark tells us here that a lot of rich people came in and threw in a bunch uh, or large amounts. And you got to understand, it was all in coins. You know, there was no paper money back in that time. You know, so the louder the noise, the more attention the gift game it gave. You know, in fact, let me give you this little bit of trivia. The offering boxes, because the, all the money that came in was in coins, and they, would, it would, uh, they were metal, and so they would make a bunch of noise, they were called trumpets. That's what they called them, trumpets. So when people dropped in their coins, the louder, the, uh, the more coins, the louder the trumpet blew in that way. So, but the story goes on that this poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And Jesus was moved by this poor woman's generosity. And he called his disciples over to where he was sitting, and he said to them, you know, that poor widow over there has put more into the treasury than all the others. For everybody else gave out of their wealth, but she, she gave out of her poverty and put in everything, all she had to live on. And you know, for Jesus, this was the most authentic expression of faith that he had ever seen. She really did love God. And she put her money where her heart was, all she had to live on. And Jesus praised her devotion to God. Now, you know, when I study this story, I see three things that I want to share with you. First thing is that this story says to me that that this poor widow woman, she, was no longer angry with God. And I want you to write that in. And you may be thinking, well, you know, Pastor, where do you get this business that she was angry to begin with? Well, you know, you have to look at the history of the story. You know, a lot of people miss this, I think, that, that uh, this whole idea of that, that, that this widow who had put in all she had to live on, these two little copper coins, was no longer angry with God. I'll tell you why I think so. Number one, we know that she was a widow, right? That her husband was dead, and now she was alone. Now, not only was she poor, 
But you got to hear me say this. In, in that day and time, in that day and time, a widow was looked upon by society as someone with little or no worth. In fact, at best, a widow was considered a burden to society. That's how they were looked on in that day and time. You know, she must have asked God angrily, God, why did you let my husband die? Don't you know, God, how much I need him? And in that day of time, she did. She needed him for security. She needed him for social acceptance. And now he was dead. And she was on her own. Now, you and I, all of us, know that, that anger is, is, uh, is part of the grieving process. And some people move beyond that anger and process it and move beyond it. And some just simply get stuck in it. And never seem to be able to be able, move forward. Never be able to move on beyond the anger. But when that woman came to the temple that day and she dropped in those two measly little coins worth only a couple of cents, but it was all she had to live on. And when I study this story, that story says to me, or those actions her giving says to me, I no longer am angry with God. Maybe I used to be, but I'm not that way anymore. I'm not angry with God anymore. I think the second thing that this story says to me is that, that this woman, she trusted God. That she trusted God. You know, I, I want to remind you that, you know, in that day and time, there was no social security there was no welfare. There were, there, were no, there were no pension plans. There was no life insurance. There would be no monthly checks coming in for that woman. And hear me say this. Unless she had children, unless she had children who could take care of her, she was now then at the mercy of her neighbors. That's why widows were considered to be worth little to society, if anything, and it, and, or, or even a burden to society. And still, even though she had nothing, no social security, no welfare checks, no, no pension plan, no life insurance, she came to the temple and she dropped in those two little copper coins representing everything she had to live on. Certainly she trusted God. It was a sign of an incredibly profound faith, don't you imagine? Those two copper coins were her way of saying, I believe that God will provide what I need. If I am faithful to him, he will be faithful to me. And the last thing I think this story tells me is that this woman... 
She believed in the work of God. That she believed in the work of God. The ministry and the care of the temple, well, it was important to her. And she was determined to support the ministry of the temple with the very best she had. And so she gave her two last coins. You know, I think for me, the beauty of what she did was in that, that there was no expectation. That, it, that is, that she didn't have to do that. There was no expectation that she would drop in the, the last two coins she needed to live. There was no expectation or demand that she do so. This was, this was an act of devotion for her. It was something that she wanted to do. Uh, her need to give was greater than the temple's need to receive. And it was her honor and pleasure to do so. For all her life, God had provided for her. And now her heart was filled with an overflowing attitude of gratitude, and she simply just wanted to give. I think she felt this need to be extravagant for God. Uh, felt a need to, to express thanks, to give God the very best that she had to offer. And it was a wonderful opportunity for her to say, God, I am devoted to you. I believe in the work of your temple, and I want to be a part of what it is that you're doing. And that's why her giving was so sacrificial. And it all came out of a heart of love and thankfulness. And those are the two stories that I wanted to share with you. A story from the Old Testament and a story from the New Testament. And now I want to tie all of that together this morning with, with, with what it is that we're doing here at Christ Church and, and what our role is in the, in the next phase of who we are and what God is calling us to do and to be here at Christ Church. So I'm going to encourage you to find your, your uh, greater things brochure that's in your worship program this morning. If you'll find that, I want to share with you about the greater things God is calling us to do. We put it out in a, in a way that makes sense, I hope, for you to be able to see what, what's going on here, how we fund our ministry here at the church and, and the, the greater things initiatives that are before us. The first one of the greater things initiatives that I mentioned last week has to do with, uh, with, our pro with the property next door. I told you this that uh, last week, that our neighbors next door, immediately behind these walls right here, the, in uh, the property that is between us and uh, our friends at the Jewish temple, it's a five-acre piece of property that immediately is next to ours. There is a uh, just a, under a 4,000 square foot home on this piece of property that's five acres large. Right here on 123, five acres large, 4,000 square foot home. And uh, this couple uh, next door are moving to be with their grandchildren in Houston, Texas. And they came and said, Pastor John, we have been your greatest supporters here uh, for your ministry here at Christ Church, and we would like our home to be used for mission and ministry by your church. And so here's what we're willing to do. We're willing 
to sell that, this property in our home to you for less than what Fairfax County believes that it's worth, tax-wise. So for $800,000, we will sell our five-acre piece of property and our 4,000-square-foot home to you, and on top of that, we will sell it to you furnished to the knobs and forks and spoons in the cupboards, to the beds and the sheets on the bed. If you can use this bill, if you can use our property, we would like for you to have it. And so go ahead and put the flyover on here. We, we got a flyover piece of the property. You can see the home there, uh, 123 out there. And there is a, uh, uh, well, you can't hardly see because of the trees, but uh, right back there in the center is a uh, four-bay uh, barn that's back there, and uh, that has, matter of fact, just so you know, we have, our neighbors have actually been letting us use that barn for the last uh, three years, and we have our storage stuff. Uh, we've been keeping our stuff stored in their, uh, in their barn uh, for the last three years, but they have been giving us this opportunity now for us to own that piece of property, and if you know anything about uh, the value of real estate, $800,000 for a five-acre piece of property with a 4,000-square-foot home is an incredible deal. In fact, our real estate folks here at the church have told us that we could easily get uh, $1.25 for that property if we were to turn around and sell it after we buy it. That is the value of that piece of property. But what could we do with that? Well, so many things, such as providing respite for families with adult children of, uh, of, with special needs, uh, overflow uh, or continue uh, uh, parking to build some parking out in the back uh, for us as we continue to grow as a church, uh, possibly even turning the barn and the backyard into a uh, for at least in the, maybe in the short term uh, to a wedding venue or maybe even simply just renting out the house in the short term to continue to, to, uh, to pay on the, uh, on the note. So there are a number of things that we could do on this piece of property uh, in our future. You know, we've been focusing in the past years about our present. I think that it's time that we now start looking toward our future. And that will be one way that we can continue to grow the ministry of this church and set us up for even greater ministry in our future. Second thing is a building of our cash reserves. We've just been in contact with a local bank who said that they want to acquire the loan. We have a $13 million loan on our building here. And they want to acquire that loan from our present lender. And they said, if we can increase our cash reserves, our savings, to a level of $600,000, then they will take that loan, reduce our interest rate to the point where we would save roughly $10,000 a month in interest simply by increasing our cash reserves. Do you realize what we can do with that $10,000? I mean, that $10,000, even if we kept the note the same, 
that $10,000 could go on to the principal payment of the note on this building. Just think about that. How God is opening up avenues for us. For, to, for mission and ministry in ways that are just incredible. You know, the, and many of you, as I said before, have not been here uh, before three, uh, well, have only been here in the last three years when those of us who, who helped get us to this place have done so much to do so. And now it's all of us together who come together to say, we believe in the work of God. We believe in what is happening at Christ Church. This is our church home. And we want to ensure that we are strong in our future. That the best is yet to come. The best is yet to be. As wonderful as our past has been, there is something that God is doing as he is calling us to greater things. And then our regular operating budget is what's in the center. I want you to be uh, aware of that. Go ahead and put the pie chart up on the, on, the, on the screen. You can see the pie chart. This is, how, this is our budget plan. This, these are the expenses that we have from personnel to spiritual formation and worship, uh, church administration, capital expenses, the operation of the church, including uh, you know, telephone and uh, gas and uh, electric and so forth, uh, our mission and min- uh, our, yeah, our mission and ministry and our apportionments here, our mortgage is roughly 18 percent of our budget, and then of course personnel for ministry all across. And so that's the way the expenses happen here at Christ Church, and income comes in in like this. Our general offerings provide uh, about 79 percent of the uh, income, our offerings and our tithes uh, that, uh, that God calls us to bring, uh, 79%. Then uh, our consignment sale is roughly 2% of our, uh, our budget. Uh, facility rental, you know, we rent to a, a Hispanic congregation in the afternoons on Sunday. And uh, uh, some other uh, minor rentals, uh, 3.5% roughly. Uh, green tree School and our summer camps, roughly five and a half, five point six percent, and then uh, mission program donations, uh, just ten point six percent, and that's the way our uh, income comes in toward our budget. Our budget for the church: three million six hundred sixty-six thousand one hundred forty-four dollars for uh, twenty nineteen. And for those of you who are interested in a uh, in a um, um, a more detailed understanding of uh, our income and our budget. We have that available. Uh, will, when will that be available? Next week? Or is today? Where is it, Jeff? As you, As you walk out, if you're interested in a more detailed version of that, please feel free to pick it up. It's very transparent of how we are in mission and ministry, where our money goes, how our money comes in, and it's all for the glory of God. A church that's 1,000 people strong who come together in faith and say, you know, this is what God is calling me to do. And so my question for you is, what is your role in making this possible? 
What is this role? What is your role in making this possible? Matter of fact, on your, uh, on your card here or your brochure, there is a tear-off page. And I'm going to ask, or a card, I'm going to ask that you take this home, pray about it, fill it out, and bring it back next week or the, uh, anytime during the month of November. And tell us how it is that God is calling you to be involved, your role, as we together as a church family make ministry and mission happen, impact lives for the kingdom. This is how God is calling us, I believe, to greater things. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the ways that you are at work in our midst. We thank you, God, that, that we're a part of a church family that, that is willing always to take calculated risks for the kingdom. Every step that we've made has been a calculated risk for you. As we step out in faith, not knowing how in the world you're going to make something possible, but yet you have never failed us. That is one thing that we know, that we know, that we know, that you and all of our history, God, have never once failed this church. For you inspire us to step forward out of a willing heart, out of a generous attitude. We want to do something. We want to do something that expresses our love for you. And we thank you, Lord, for this privilege and this opportunity. So, Lord, in faith, we commit this all to you and ask Heavenly Father that you would bless us as we go forward to be your people in your world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.